Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I am so excited to have you here today with my conversation with George and Michael. Uh, Now, George Acevedo and Michael Beck are thought leaders and kind of experts in this idea of fresh expressions, right? What does it mean to be the church in today's context? What does it mean to be the church in different settings and environments? Let me warn you, if you grew up in the church, this might be a challenging conversation for you. They're going to challenge the status quo. Now, if you are the type of person who didn't grow up in the church and are looking for something different when it comes to following Jesus, you're going to love this conversation. And as it turns out, uh, Michael and George are going to be in Dayton April 24th from 9 to 3 at Fresh Expressions Gathering hosted by United Theological Seminary. We're going to link to that in the show notes, but would love to see you there. Uh, I think it's going to be an incredible event. Um, Again, you can find that by searching out united.edu or United Theological Seminary on Facebook. We would love to hear your feedback on today's conversation. You can hit me up uh, Twitter and Instagram at TWMilt, M-I-L-T, or uh, on Facebook, The Reclamation Podcast with Tony Miltenberger, or as always, on my website, uh, TWMilt.com. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with George and Michael. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited today to have... uh, a heartfelt and deep conversation about fresh expressions with two leading thought experts, Michael Beck and George Acevedo. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. And good morning, morning. So um, I love to just jump right in. Uh, you guys are writing a brand new book called Field Guide to Methodist Fresh Expressions. And I guess the question I have for you, Michael, first is why is this right now in the church's time in history, the time for this book to come out? Yeah. Um, well, partly it's because Methodists have forgotten our story. Um, Leonard Sweet says, you know, Methodism's the greatest story never told. And we've kind of forgotten this uh, ape, this apostle, prophet, evangelist named John Wesley, who went out to the fields and started preaching the gospel to people who never heard it before and forming church with them where they were. Um, And we're in a time where we're, you know, the United States is the third largest mission field in the world. Mm. Land of the nuns and the duns, the no church, the D church. Uh, And we have to find ways to be church with people who are never going to come into our Sunday morning worship services. Even if we have George Acevedo as the preacher and um, the most amazing worship team and all of that, there's a large percent of the population that's just never going to come. Um, so fresh expressions, really church for people that don't go to church, um, and, uh, tethering that together with inherited churches. So we're not leaving one behind in the rear view, but kind of, it's a both and approach. I love that. George, what are your thoughts? Why is this, uh, why is this the right time for a book like this? And how, how would you define fresh expressions? Uh, let me get a little autobiographical first, Tony. Um, so I've been at the same church for 24 years. Mm. and what we Which did, is unusual in the Methodist denomination. Yeah, it, I it mean, is let's, unusual. That, that's, yeah. For those of you that aren't Methodists and listening, most often people stay there three to five years if they're lucky. Yeah, right. yeah. So, and, and I can't, you know, explain how or why. It's just, you know, it's roll of the dice. I don't know. Uh, I, I would love to believe it's God's sovereignty in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> at least but, it's grace. It's, it's, it's at least it is grace. So for, for 24 years, been in the same church. And what I discovered 
I started sensing it about 10 years ago that what had worked marvelously for us for the first 15 years or so quit working and we were getting better at doing it, if that made sense. And, and to, to use kind of broad categories, uh, we were doing attractional church, meaning come to us church, nothing wrong with attractional church, come to us church. Uh, it, it, you know, it's good music, good worship, good preaching, good children's ministry, great hospitality, got to have good coffee, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, and what I noticed uh, starting about 10 years ago is the air started to come out of that balloon. Uh, things started shifting in the spiritual atmosphere of, of my community. And I found out later, really, the entire United States as this whole emergence of the nuns and duns came about. And, and so, um, you know, we started hearing as the years went by that there's just large portions, particularly of young adults, uh, uh, that said, it doesn't matter uh, how skinny the pastor's jeans are. It doesn't mm. matter how you know, cool the lights are. We don't care what you do. You can bring in monkeys. You can bring in you know, whatever. We are not coming. And, and so, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm passionate for reaching people and for my community. And so for me, it was a pragmatic um, to engage in what I started hearing about on the margins, uh, this new movement that was birthed out of England, kind of a partnership between the Anglicans and the Methodists uh, called Fresh Expressions of Church. And um, to your second question, I guess the, the, the definition I would give of Fresh Expressions of Church is um, uh, new places uh, for reaching new peoples um, who aren't uh, likely to walk into the front door of our Saturday night, Sunday morning, attractional only church. Um, and, and it's creating enough space. Um, it's thinking innovatively enough, um, believing um, deeply in, out of our tribe, out of our Wesleyan tribe, believing in provenient grace. Um, uh, I run around what I call terrorizing uh, United Methodists, uh, persecuting <laughs> them. Uh, and one of the things I t say when I speak in, in our United Methodist circles is, we Methodists believe in provenient grace. We just do ministry like we don't. Wow. Um, we, we, you know, so give, give me an are, example of what that looks like. Cause I, I think um, provenient grace is often one of those really big kind of scary church words. Yeah. If you're going to make yeah. that super practical, what does yeah. that look like? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm a preacher. So I'll just tell a quick story. Good friend. Yeah, of mine no, in, that's, yeah. Yeah. Good friend of mine in Louisiana. Uh, uh, he's a grandfather like me and uh, he, his grandson was born prematurely and they had to put him in one of those kind of uh, incubators mm. and he had to dress up in a hazmat suit to hold his grandson. Wow. And I asked him how it was going. And he said, his grandson's name is Paxson. And he says, it does not satisfy my grandfatherless sensibilities to hold Paxson in this plastic suit. And, uh, and he said, but I have learned this about Paxson. He, he, he's crazy about me. He just doesn't know it yet. And, <laughs> And the truth is that uh, every person who doesn't know Jesus is crazy about Jesus. They just don't know it yet. Yeah. yeah. And provenient grace is trying to create enough space where we can help people who aren't likely to walk into the front doors of our church, discover that there's a Jesus who's crazy about them. And that if they would give him a shot, they'd be crazy about him too. And, and so, so, so for, for us, um, uh, there's a community four miles from our church. This is the second largest trailer park in the southeast of America. 
And if you're from the Southeast, like Michael and I am, there is a lot of trailer parks. Yeah. And it's yeah. the second largest in the Southeast. Uh, a pocket of poverty where a school that we've been in for 20 years doing reading, mentoring, those kinds of things in a school partnership. We discovered that there's just no church there. There's nothing there. So we, we launched what's called a dinner church, Eat, Pray, Love Dinner Church in a community center as an experiment. And that's one of the beauties of Fresh Expressions is they're cheap and you can experiment with them. You don't have to build a building, hire a staff. It just, if you can get a few folks together who are willing to think and dream, it can, it can happen. And so we created this space on Thursday nights and it's quickly turned into church. Now it doesn't look like Grace Church at 10 o'clock with the band and the lights and the hazers. Uh, and clearly the pastor does not wear skinny jeans. Let me just be clear. Um, but uh, it would be an ugly sight. But uh, it's, it's become a place where a, on any Thursday, and it's every Thursday, 40 to 100 people gather in this community center. And uh, we've done baptisms, funerals, weddings, Christmas Eve services, Easter sunrise services, breakfast, lunches, dinners, Bible studies, recovery groups. I mean, it's become uh, its own faith community. It's not branded as Grace Church. Sure. It's Eat, Pray, Love Dinner Church. And it is church for the, that community. Uh, primarily uh, uh, white folks stuck in generational poverty and drug addiction. Mm -hmm. Michael, how, how did you fall into this idea of fresh expressions? And do you have anything to add to George's definition of it? Yeah, so let me let me give a little bit of uh, biography too. Um, so I was a Methodist my whole life. Um, my My mother struggled with drug addiction and prostitution, so... My biological father's unknown. I was um, raised by my grandparents, and they died when I was young. But I was brought to this Methodist church my whole life. Was baptized as a Methodist. Those folks rallied around me at my infant baptism, and committed to raise me in a community of love and forgiveness. Provenient grace of God was at work, and they did that. Um, so I had some formation, and I, I came to know Jesus at a young age through the people. Um, that loved me into that. Then I took a turn, you know, went prodigal, uh, alcoholism, drug, drug addiction, raised in uh, juvenile state facilities, um, incarceration. Uh, and then when I got out um, of uh, last time being incarcerated, I heard about George, this pastor who had a history of recovery and alcoholism and addiction. And here he was, this pastor of this large, thriving church, recovery ministries, part of that. So I started kind of following him from afar and um, just getting to know him a little bit. Um, and so I grew up with this tension of like my experience in formation and with the church was, was positive and good. And I experienced that as a good place. But most people my age and the people that I associated with were very far from the church, had no really um, orientation towards God or the church at all. So I've lived in that tension of, you know, um, here are these churches that I've been sent to pastor as a, as a um, you know, elder in the United Methodist Church, but also knowing there's a multitude of people out there that there's no way they're ever going to come to my church on a Sunday morning. Um, so how am I going to reach those people? And what am I going to do? So I started kind of instinctually just doing Fresh Expressions, my first couple appointments. I wouldn't have called it that, but we started a recovery church basically called CPR. and We had all these different you know, rappers and speakers and stuff come in. It was just a church for people that didn't go to church. 
Um, and, and very quickly at the little church where I was at, St. Mark's, that church grew, outgrew the, the normal church. There was, you know, 100 people coming there on a, on a Wednesday night. Then I went to a little church called La Calusa. We started a church in a, a barbecue uh, restaurant because it was the only thing around where there were people. Because mm. no Walmart, no uh, post office. No, I was, my first appointment was in the middle of a swamp, basically. Um, so how do you be missional in the middle of that? Um, so we went up to the next town and kind of met with the, the Diane's Diner girls and planted a little church there with, with them. And then I went to Wildwood and like George, I've been at Wildwood for eight years. I have no intention of ever leaving. Uh, one of my other mentors told me, find the smallest church in your denomination, serve it with all you have, and you'll be faithful to Jesus. So that's been kind of my approach. And we just started planning these fresh expressions. We have about 14 of them now, where the um, primarily lay folks, like how Wesley released the whole people of God, the lay preachers. Um, and in that prevenient grace thing, so he, he kind of had this figured out, a discipleship process. Yeah. Which amazingly, I kind of, I get to talk to Methodists a lot and I'll ask that question. Like, so our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for transformation of the world. How do we do that? And there's usually crickets. Like, oh yeah, that's our mission statement, but there's not a clear understanding of how we would even do that. So if we look back to Wesley, the societies, classes, and bands, and connecting people at the waves of grace, you know, prevenient, justifying, sanctifying grace. So in that prevenient grace stage, he's creating those societies where the only requirement for membership was a, a desire to flee the wrath to come. Um, very similar to what we say in AA. The only requirement for membership was a desire to, you know, get sober. Uh, and literally anybody could come into that space. So that grace that goes before us, before we're even aware of it, people were, you know, connecting in the fields and then coming in. And then he was bringing them through a life of holiness and sanctification through those groups where they're asking, how goes it with your soul? So if you look at some of our fresh expressions, um, they're in these different stages. Some are like really prevenient grace, just people just really getting together and do a practice uh, and maybe are not even aware of a need for God yet fully. Um, then there's folks that are kind of just wrestling with what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Then there's others that are really saying, you know, I think I want to be holy. I'm, I'm all in on this. I want to live my life for Christ. And we have different fresh expressions in all those stages. So what I see is people say, well, how are disciples being made in these fresh expressions? And my response to that is a lot better than they're being made in our attractional churches. Come on with it. <laughs> which, have, which have really no, no clear process for, to, for discipleship. So, yeah. Some, so, church, some churches, Michael. Some, some, some churches. <laughs> well, I, so uh, disciple making is my number one passion. It is by far the thing that we talk about the most at Restoration Church where I pastor. And um one of the questions that I have for both of you is how are you seeing fresh expressions um, being used to, to make disciples? I mean, Michael, would, could you possibly share a kind of a story about how this is working on a more practical level? Sure. So let me, let me tell you about Denise. So I was there in Britos and Bibles. This is a church that happens in a most Southwest Grail. Fully church, we have communion, open table communion. People in the space are invited to come to that. We dump out the chips and salsa basket. We pass the collection plate. Um, 
we have, you know, we take the tortilla in high C in the chalice and we serve. We talk about Jesus. We worship Jesus. Um, so all that's happening. So Denise prays in burritos and Bibles for the first time in her life mm. out loud to a group. Just this beautiful, honest, compelling prayer. And she's in that group just asking really good questions about, wait a minute. So, you know, Jesus is God. What does that mean? There's things that we kind of take as um, uh, assumptions. She's really challenging and, and asking good questions. So within a year of that time of her just coming into faith through this fresh expression, she starts her own fresh expression called Church 3.1. Uh, where she's a runner. So she runs these marathons and 5Ks and 10Ks and all that. So she has this group um, that she's the person of peace, really, with that group of runners. They go around and, and run these marathons together. So she turns that into a form of church. From a, a time of her praying for the first time out loud in front of a group of people in a year's time, she's essentially pastoring her own church. So she takes out her screen, she shares a little bit of scripture. They have a conversation around that. They pray, they run, they go back to work. And for some of them, that's the only form of church they have. Mm. So when we're talking about how Paul went in and raised up indigenous leaders very quickly, gave them the spirit, uh, you know, an understanding of Jesus as, as their Lord, then he moved on and planted the next one. So we're seeing in Fresh Expressions that same idea where people indigenous to their practices and their culture and their places where they already do life are quickly becoming disciples, uh, learning to bend their life to the truth of scripture, and very quickly starting to teach others. So rather than living in a kind of a learned helplessness, um, attractional ecosystem, which some, some of those can be quite unhealthy, they're actually having an opportunity to explore their gifts and their passion and their calling and use those to connect other people to Jesus very quickly. So, and, and there's lots of those stories. Yeah, go ahead. No, and I was going to say the, the other thing that I've observed as a, a shepherd teacher who's trying to release the apostle prophets and evangelists. Now, for those um, of you who don't know, those are all kind of titles for different roles for people in the church, right? Right. In, yeah. in Ephesians 4, Paul talks about uh, the, 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 the gifts, uh, the offices, if you will, of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And there are some really smart people out there, uh, Al Hurst being probably the primary leader, thinking about what he calls apes, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And that the apes, the apostle, prophet, evangelists, have either been domesticated by the attractional church or kicked out. Mm. And that the church is primarily run by shepherd teachers. And uh, I would categorize myself as a shepherd teacher with ape propensities. Um, and somebody who just through the hard knocks of ministry has learned don't domesticate or run off, release the apes, the Michael Becks uh, of my church. So I think about a guy in my church, because Len Sweet says the second largest group of people that need to be converted in America is the overchurched. Amen. And, um, and so we have these, you know, this large group of overfed, uh, underserving, you know, tippers, uh, you know, they're not fully vested. They've been lulled to sleep by kind of a lukewarm invitation to religious life, maybe not necessarily a dynamic, abiding relationship with Jesus. Call it whatever you want. Uh, I know that for me, 
in year 42 of following Jesus, my fear is that I'm more like the older prodigal son than the younger one. Mm -hmm. So I'm not throwing stones. I have my own prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love propensity myself. But uh, I'm thinking about this guy in my church who came in through our recovery ministries on Friday nights. We have a, a huge recovery ministry that reaches hundreds and hundreds, more than a thousand people every week. And, uh, and he came in and, uh, you know, the God of his understanding turned into Jesus. I mean, if we believe in provenient grace, uh, again, another way of putting provenient grace is that AA believes in provenient grace more than the United Methodist church. Um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, it turned from the God of his own understanding to Jesus to, um, uh, to, to, as he began to grow as a disciple, he started coming to the weekend worship services on, at our Saturday night service. His wife was serving. Because uh, on Sunday mornings, he loved BMX bike riding. Mm. And uh, he loved his friends who loved BMX bike riding. And uh, so we're experimenting right now. And he's leading uh, what we call Dirt Church. Uh, on, and he's a, he's a, a missionary, a, a pioneer, uh, who's being mentored. Uh, from the inherited church, resourced from the inherited church, and released from the inherited church to go out and and do this. And I would say this guy was a guy that was sitting in church on Saturday nights, kind of bored, kind Mm -hmm. of bored. And Heather, uh, who leads our Fresh Expressions, had the wisdom to see the, Wesley used to talk about the lights in the eyes, see the lights in her eye, in his eyes, and his wife's eyes, and say, how can we connect your passion for Jesus with your passion for BMX dirt biking? And uh, so, uh, you know, the verdict's not out that it's going to work. It seems that it's working. And uh, and so I think there's this, there is a lot, there are a lot of kind of lulled into complacency uh, followers of Jesus sitting in attractional churches that are, that their lights are on in their eyes, and they just haven't been released to connect Jesus with the, the other passions of their life. So uh, one of the questions that I have for both of you guys, just uh, so you guys don't know this, but I've also been in recovery six years sober. I did recovery ministry at Gingsburg. It was amazing stuff. And, and as I sit here and I listen to the recovery kind of like, uh, it's just weird to me that there's three of us on this call that all kind of have experience in recovery. Do you yeah. think that, well, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, it's really just a reflection I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. Do you think people in recovery are just more open because we've been more broken down? I don't know. What's the, what do you think? I'll you, go ahead, Mike. Okay. I'll start and then let George bring that, bring that wisdom. Um, I, I think that the maybe AA and a celebrate are probably the most Wesleyan um, things in the world today. Because there's just this very clear pro- like I was not discipled in the United Methodist Church. Right. Um, I was discipled in Alcoholics Anonymous. It took me through a process that said I'm powerless. I need to come to believe. I need to make it. I need to inventory. I need to confess my sins. I need to go make amends for all the wrongs I've done. Mm. And I need to just carry that message to everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a real clear. And at Wildwood, we oh, it's just, a, there's a discipleship pathway, right? Like it's a exactly. really clear pathway. It is. And I, I struggle with this because I have people in my church that I love dearly and I try to visit with every person and get to know them, hear their story. The story that I hear most of all, it's a beautiful story, 
is that, you know, I came to church, Sunday school, came to faith. My parents brought me there. And I just kind of, you know, have gone to church my whole life. That's a beautiful, that means the church is doing our job. But a lot of times there's no clear, and here's the moment where I said yes to Jesus. And this happened and it made me really lean into God. Um, and that, that moment happens to all people in all different ways. Um, but it's really clear with us in recovery. Like, here was that moment. I was totally desperate and I cried out to Jesus and he yeah. came. So, yeah. Um, I have a, another one of my uh, uh, statements that I use when I try to persecute our tribe is that um, spiritual malpractice is offering Jesus the healer without offering the people, the places, and the processes for Jesus to heal. Mm. Um, and I would say that the vast majority of our churches are guilty of that. They stand up and they say, Jesus can really fix your life. So that was my story. Uh, addicted to drugs and alcohol uh, at 17, a few days before my 18th birthday, 42 years ago this week, I said yes to Jesus. Wow. And, uh, and the night I, I got saved, I went out and smoked a joint to celebrate the fact that I'd become a Christian. Why wouldn't you? Um, why wouldn't you? I mean, if you're a complete pagan, that's what you do. You know, you smoke a joint to, to, to say, hey, I love Jesus now. And, um, and I added Jesus to the pantheon of my life. You know, I mean, he just was, you know, now he over time became Lord, but uh, as much of you give as much of yourself as you can to as much of God as you understand. That's all I did is open the door. Um, and so I went to a church. I landed in a great Methodist church uh, going through charismatic renewal in the in the mid 70s. And that church's only disciple making process was, you know, go to a, a Sunday school class. And there was there was no people, places, or processes for me to heal. And so I went all the way through seminary and into my first appointment uh, as a pastor, an elder, uh, then deacon, and later an elder in the church as a white-knuckling dry drunk, uh, raging on my two children and my precious bride. Mm. And I was... Uh, had enough sense to be in therapy to try to work on it. What I didn't know was I had a therapist who was in recovery himself from sexual addiction and he was walking me through the 12 steps. Wow. Uh, and so I kind of, I'd say I came in the back door of recovery, if you will. And, and I, I think that the, uh, you know, out of our tribe, the three of our tribe, the, the, the Wesleyan tribe, you know, brother Wesley created these things called penitent bands. They weren't just the, the, the societies, the classes, and the bands. There was this fourth group of penitent bands that uh, uh, Michael Henderson, in one of his books on Wesley, describes as uh, a space for people who struggled with addictions, mostly alcoholism, um, that were stringent in their disciple-making, much like, he says, current-day Alcoholics Anonymous. He says wow. that in the text. And so this is a part of our spiritual DNA that I would say, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but I imagine it's in the 90s. Uh, most United Methodist churches that I visit have kicked out Alcoholics Anonymous because they don't want those cigarette butts in their parking lot. They love their parsonage or their, their parlors more than they do broken people. Right. And, and so they don't want to deal with that crap, you know, and so they just kind of kick them out. So this is, this is who we are. And it's what Michael says. Um, 
the 12 steps is, in my estimation, the simplest and the best disciple-making process there is out there. Because it deals first with my relationship with God. Then it deals secondly with my relationship with myself. I got to deal with my crap and I got to get that in order. Thirdly, then it gives me how to deal with my relationships with others. And then it gives me a whole bunch of maintenance steps. And it ends by saying, you can't keep what you don't give away. And you better go to meetings to help the first timer get in the door. And, and we don't do that in the church. We say, please join my church, you know, or <laughs> we, you know, we soft sell following Jesus. Right. And then, and then we wonder, you know, you get what you ask for. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you guys this. Um, I, I, I'm going to get super practical here just uh, because I have you here and I can. Um, at, at So when I got to the church where I'm appointed, it was Centerville United Methodist. Uh, we renamed it about, uh, a, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, um, to Restoration Church. And what's happened is, is that there's been, through the fresh expression, there's been kind of a sense of revival, right? So, but now um, I really have two communities. And I, I hear that, George, and your story, and I, I see it like there's there's not one united community at, at a location, but rather there's different pockets of community. Um, how do you guys live in the tension of what was and what could be and in terms of the people connecting with each other? Mm, that's good. That's a, that's a big, that's a big question that clearly I've been thinking about for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's the biggest, it's the biggest struggle in my pastorate right now. Like as a pastor, it's the biggest struggle I have is that I have this incredible 845 service. It's full of amazing saints who I love dearly and I know their names and their grandkids. And then I have this uh, kind of like outpouring of a different worship space and place and types of people in this other service. And the two don't know each other at all. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I feel sometimes like, uh, well, I don't, I don't know what to do, honestly. Yeah. I'm glad that you asked that question. Cause um, in our book that's coming out, field guide to Methodist fresh expressions, we try to hit that really intentionally because that, that really is kind of the major tension with the missional church and attractional church kind of living together at the same hub. Mm. And George is doing this on a, big level with a big church and lots of staff and people all over the community. Um, it's probably easier for me in a, in a small church. So when my wife and I came to Wildwood. There was about 30 people there our first Sunday. So we have eight kids in a blended family. So we doubled the congregation our first Sunday. Praise them. That'll look good on the report. Amen. That was on the, <laughs> we beat Grace Church that year. Highest. Oh. In- <laughs> So I, I have to care for those folks who've given their prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness to care for that church. They've given their lives. So I, I am their pastor and I have an obligation mm-hmm. to love them and care for them and teach them. And at the same time, knowing that there no amount of that is going to revitalize that church. Yeah. No amount of just doing that. So it has to be both. And so I always try to say care for the center experiment on the edge and so as the fresh expressions really start to emerge um, we start talking about how do we how do we now create community between these things and how do the people back in the inherited hub start to have some ownership and and uh, a sense of pride in what's happening with the emerging church 
Because what we would hear a lot of is, all right, that's great. You're having a tattoo parlor church. But when are those people going to come to real church? Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's nice that you're doing that thing in the dog park. But how's that going to put money in our collection plate? Um, and so we started to, to do what we call grafting, which is um, there's this really awesome plant called ketchup and fries. So, you know, you can, you can, you can grow ketchup and french fries on the same plant you wear this through mm -hmm. grafting so you graft together this uh plant it's got potatoes growing in the ground tomatoes up top it's called ketchup and fries and on the new missional frontier every church is going to have to be like a ketchup and fry plant where we care for the roots and we we fertilize and do all that and we plant the new things and graft them together so we created this thing called a fourth place because folks in our fresh expressions when they would matriculate back and that's not the goal of a fresh expression is to get people to come back to your inherited church but they do and it's great when they do because they actually figure out oh you know these christians i had all these stereotypes about are actually not that bad they're yeah. actually pretty amazing people i think i will go see what sunday morning worship looks like but they would never come back to our traditional service because their experience was just not um generative or it, it was not good so we created this thing that's in between a fresh expression and a in a traditional church it's called new life um, and we encourage people from both those worlds to come and, and participate in new life and it's a it's a worship experience but it has uh, some traditional elements like communion and the apostles creed and then a lot of like social media moments and coffee toasts and dance breaks and secular music plays for worship music and those kind of things so that it's comfortable for people that are, you know, on the edge, nuns, nuns, but also it's, we're worshiping Jesus quite clearly. So that's been a way for us to bring everybody together, to share the stories and to tell our traditional folks, Hey, you'll never believe Nick was baptized in the tattoo parlor last week. And because of your faithfulness and what you do here and your prayers, presence, gift, service, and witness, Nick came to faith and you're part of that because your faithfulness here enables what we're doing out there. And we'll show pictures and, and so that they understand that they're part of this whole thing. And their, their church is not just really what's happening there at 11 o'clock on Sunday, but it's all over the community. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. My, my approach has been, because remember, we're an attractional church that leans into fresh expressions. Uh, where I would, you know, Michael, it probably comes from the other side. Um, and um, I think there's, I think one of the most unused places in the inherited church, the attractional church, uh, is the pulpit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so you can fight with me in board meeting, but when I stand and read the word of God and say, this is the word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. It's like, you know, game on, game over. You, you know, it's like, take it up with Jesus. I mean, you know, and, and, and so, uh, one of the things, and Michael has been preached at my church, and he's um, uh, he, he's listened to our, some of our messages. You know, you can roll a dice, and about half of the time, we're talking about what does it mean to move from the seats to the streets in in Sunday morning worship. And so, I don't want to let the inherited church off the hook. And so, you know, if if you ain't, I just 
you know, and this is why I say I'm a, I'm a shepherd teacher with strong eight propensities. Uh, and, and it's been that way, even when we were an attractional church only, we were doing these huge outreach events with five, 6,000 people coming to them and, you know, all those kinds of things. We were, we were drawing people to our church really well. That's why we've grown. So I don't think we can let the inherited church off. It's not like, I mean, and Michael would tell you this too. It's not like Fresh Expressions gives the inherited church a pass on being apostolic. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that, that's one thing. I think it's in the preaching office. And we, ju- we just got a, uh, you know, Rick Warren used to say that, that vision leaks. And so you got to hammer it. I mean, and, and for us, it's every single week. We have. So last weekend, the Attractional Church did uh, our oil change ministry. We do it once a quarter, our car care ministry. And we served 60 single moms, single women, and widows in our community, primarily people that were reaching in our fresh expressions of church. So they're on our church parking lot. They get there. Our Kairos outside ministry is there to sign them up because most of them have incarcerated loved ones. Our prayer teams are there, our hospitality, our food bank is there. We are loving the snot out of our neighbors, changing their oil, their air filters, blessing them, praying with them, and all the rest. What do you think we did that night and the next morning in church? Hey, ministry moment. Let me show you pictures (laughs) of guys out there doing it. So we're not letting the inherited church off the hook that it's got to be passionately apostolic to draw people to the corner of Hancock Bridge Parkway in Southeast 21st Place. They're not off the hook. Fresh Expressions isn't like a pass on on being evangelical and evangelistic and outreach oriented. At the same time then, the other thing I would say is that we have to celebrate the Fresh Expressions in the Inherited Church. And so for us, you know, we're regularly sending video teams out to videotape and guess where we show them? On Sunday morning when the big crowd is there. So we're building bridges of goodwill, and and then regularly, uh, about once every four months, uh, it's a big fresh expressions push for those kind of bored saints sitting in church, and we really push, and we pick up four, five, six, ten new people. It typically filters out to about two or three uh, that we then are able to take through some pioneering training and release them in some experiment of fresh expressions. So this is the, that symbiotic relationship between fresh expressions and the inherited church. And we do see some people, I've never used the term matriculate from fresh expressions to the inherited church. We do see some of that happening, but uh, I I would say the vast majority of that is not happening. It's, it's that space, that place, and those pioneers become their pastors and their churches. I love that. I love that. Uh, Michael, one of the questions I have as I listen to all of these different examples for of fresh expressions is uh, it's, it's simple, but probably pretty deep. H- how do you define church? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. And what we, what we do in fresh expressions is uh, kind of strip it down to, you know, the, the bare scriptural minimum. Um, I mean, I would say for me personally, church consists of really two key ingredients. It's people and people are a mess. So there's going to be that element. And it's a community of people that's life is derived from the life of God. 
If you don't have people, you don't really have a church. If you don't have people deriving their life from the presence of the Holy Spirit, you don't really have a church either. You have, you know, a corpse, not really a body of Christ. Hmm. But in Fresh Expressions, we talk about that one of the ways to say, how, how do we say, say is this a church that's happening in the tattoo parlor? So we look back to the folks that put together that Nicene Creed in the 300s AD. Mm-hmm. And they came up, you know, they said a lot about God the Son, a little bit about God the Father, the Spirit. But when they got to the church, it was just those four words. The church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. So we take those words and kind of remix them a little bit. And we talk about the inward, upward, outward, and upward dynamic of the church. So a church at some point has to be worshiping a holy God. And our lives are being transfigured by that orientation uh, toward God. So God's chesed, his holy love. We're trying to reflect that character, his unfailing love. Uh, there's, a, there's an inward dimension. So there's a community there. It's a place where people are going to actually confess the things that are going on in their life and grow out of those and grow through those things. Um, so there's that inward dimension. There's an upward dimension. So the way that the, the blended ecology is sustainable is those fresh expressions are tethered in a relationship to the inherited church. So they're not just these little islands floating around on their own. They're part of this greater one holy Catholic apostolic church, the universal church. And then, of course, there's the outward orientation. So in a fresh expression, fresh expressions are born pregnant. And as soon as people start to see, oh, look, well, Larry, the 80-year-old pioneer, started a church in the dog park. So as George was saying, there's pioneers sitting in our pews, and they've been there for decades. And they just need to be released out into the community to, to be in mission. Um, so there's an expectation in fresh expressions where we're talking about, so now what's what are you going to start or how are we going to serve this community or what's our, what's our next step? So that's that outward apostolic dimension. So when, when you have all of those, so people are worshiping Jesus there, there's community that's formed. There's an outward, how are we going to share this with others? There's an upward, some relationships being sustained with the larger church. We'd say that's a mature, fresh expression. Um, so that has all the marks of, what historically has been called the church of Jesus. No, that's, that's good. I like that. George, any, anything to add on that? That was pretty extensive. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think some of it is just reminding people just some good church history, you know, that, uh, you know, acts was not, they, they didn't have buildings, you, you know, I mean, we have an edifice complex particularly in North America, we love our buildings more than we love maybe even people in our community. And, 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 you know, to really, again, in the preaching teaching office, and this is why I am a shepherd teacher in the preaching teaching office to really hammer home the reality that it's not the bricks and mortars, the properties, the things that we, that, that are endearing to us. And, you know, I don't, again, I don't think, this is where sometimes I want to poke Mike in the eye, Michael in the eye sometimes when he, when he gets a little punch drunk with the, with the inherited church is, is to recognize that I think people's affection for their buildings comes often out of a very good place. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if you got any uh, apostle prophet evangelist in you, you like to take shots at, at the inherited church. And, and I, I like to do it quite honestly myself. Sure. 
it, it's such low hanging fruit and um, uh, it's made so easy in these days. But uh, it, the, the reality is, I mean, I'll never forget a guy told me he had built a new sanctuary, a bigger sanctuary because they were one of these growing mega churches. And I was listening to him talk about it. And he said, a guy made an appointment with him during that season when they were getting ready to open the new place, which was right next door to the old sanctuary, much like a, a lot of old Methodist churches, you know, the chapel was the old sanctuary kind of deal. Sure. Yeah. I'm, and, uh, I pastor in that exact church, as a matter of fact. So, so this guy, you know, made an appointment with the senior pastor and he said, Hey, uh, when he showed up, he said, Hey, let's walk into the old room. And he took him into the old room and he walked up to you know fourth row, third seat in. And he said, it was right here. And he said, what? He said, it was right here that you were preaching right there. And I was right here and I gave my life to Jesus. And then he said this, he said, you've been a little cavalier about talking about the move from here to there, but you need to know that that seat will always be precious to me because that's where I found Jesus. Oh. And so I think we need to have a kind of a pastoral sensibilities yeah. uh, as we do this kind of work. It, it, one of the things that I love that Michael has done well is he really has held the tension between the fresh expressions of church and the, the inherited church. And, uh, and I, I think he leans a little more fresh expressions and, Again, I think one of the reasons we're a good team is Eileen Littlemore and Heritage Church. And between the two of us, there's kind of this equilibrium that's found, uh, or, 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 or as I'd say, between the two of us, we make one really good pastor. So, <laughs> um, you know, one really good spiritual leader. Yeah, I, I think we have, to, we have to recognize that that those buildings are important to people because they were married there, buried their loved ones there, baptized their friends there. And so if we can affirm all of that and yet say at the same time that lost people really matter to God, mm -hmm. they really, really matter to God. Yeah. And, 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 and hold those two things in tension. I'm, I'm a big believer in um, uh, Jim Collins's in his book built to last. Uh, he talked about the principles of the difference between a plus companies and a companies. What's the margin is really thin. And what's the difference and he said, A-plus companies practice the genius of the end, not the tyranny of the or. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the way, that's our Wesleyan theology. Yes. It's faith and works. You know, it's that tension. It's works of mercy, works of piety. It's that tension. It's, you know, that we live in as followers of Jesus. It's grace and truth. It's that tension that we live in. Um, and, and, it's, and, and in this case, it's inherited church and it's fresh expressions of church. It's the tension and Andy Stanley has said, you know, we manage tensions and we solve problems. And a lot of people want to, want to make the inherited church attractional, the inherited church and fresh expressions of church a problem to be solved. And it can't be solved. It's a tension to be managed. Some, and there will be seasons when it is really appropriate to lean into the inherited church because of what's going on in that inherited church. And then there are going to be other seasons where you're going to lean heavy into fresh expressions of church. We're in a more of a releasing season mm. and we can do all of that with re almost reckless abandon because things are fairly stable here. So yeah, if I, if I could give myself one piece of advice going back to when we kind of started this transition in at, at restoration, it would be to, to give the, um, give more space for people to grieve the loss of the consistent thing in their life Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. because the pastors were so itinerant right? Especially in a smaller church, right? And so they were itinerant for a lot of years. And 
um, meaning that the building was the only consistent thing. And then you start messing with the building and you start messing with what was, and there's a natural response and the response is grief. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I would certainly walk someone through grief if they had lost a loved one. Why can't that loved one be the space? Yeah. Ron Heifetz says it's not, it's not, uh, it's not change that people grieve. It's loss that people grieve. Mm -hmm. And we, we think that it's that the, that again, I'm an inherited church guy. And so we think that it's just those inherited church people and they're, they're they just don't like change. Uh, and I, I would say there are some that that's true. There are some. But for most people, if you can acknowledge the loss, yeah, just acknowledge it, you know. Uh, to sit in or, it. Yeah, yeah well uh, in it. Colin Powell said, uh, people don't have to have their way. They have to have their way considered. Mm. And so I think I've become a bit of an expert, if you will, on how to navigate change in a local church. Because our church has morphed and continues to morph, um, you know, over the 24 years. And what, what I wish I knew at 36 that I've learned at almost 60 is that, it, that people grieve loss. Acknowledge the loss. Say, I get it. I get it. Church as you knew it, 1950s, it ain't never coming back. You know, I'm mm -hmm. sorry. I'm sorry. You know, this is a new day. You know, we got to put, as Ron Crandall taught me at Asbury Seminary when I was in his evangelism class, my very first class, my very first day at Asbury. So when you go fishing for fish, you put on the hook what the fish like, not what you like. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if it's tattoos and Bibles and burritos, if it's, we have a pizza thing, if we, you know, uh, whatever it is, you, you put up, you put on the hook, what the fish like, not what you like necessarily. Michael, I, I know that there's going to be some people listening who, um, who are resonating with this fresh expression idea. What would you say is the number one thing that a fresh expression planter needs to have in their heart? Man, that's good. I would say the number one thing is you have to love um, the people that you're trying to reach, mm. like genuinely love them. It can't just be an idea. It can't just be the next cool thing. You have to really pray and, and ask God and work it out with them that who are the people that I really love in this community that are not represented here. Um, and, and the, the first stage of fresh expression that this can't be like overemphasized is listening. Mm -hmm. So listening to God, listening to our community, that double listening. And I think a, a lot of people make a mistake that they have this brilliant idea of this thing that I want to do, but it can't start with that idea. It has to start with real people and a real need and something that God's actually calling you to. Uh, and if that's the case, then whether you, you succeed with it or fail uh, and learn from your failure, it's going to be a kingdom victory. Um, and I would say just for, for pioneers, uh, it's been really important for me to have relationships with people like George that are mentoring me and, and keeping me um, with, with my heart orientation toward the inherited church, um, where, where I'm not going off the, you know, the deep end, the apostolic edge. Uh, for instance, um, I've stolen a lot of George's ideas, okay? So we took, when we started at Wildwood, a lot of people have, so we're all, we're guilty of that. But um, we took in that prayer 
Lord, send us the ones that no one else wants or sees. And help us love them when we when they come. Um, George pioneered that prayer. And then we changed the orientation of that. Lord, send us to the people no one else wants or sees and help us love them when we get there. Um, so having, having people uh, that I'm in a continuous discipleship process and they're watching over me and helping me when I'm, when I'm probably going too far uh, out onto the edge um, is really important. And so the, the, the fresh expression approach is people say, well, it's really kind of a, a, a remix of Donald McGavern's like homogeneous unit principle stuff where he realized that our very uh, individual Western approach of Christianizing one person at a time and bringing them back to the compound is not a very effective missional strategy. People become Christians in communities and groups um, through these kind of people movement things. And really Fresh Expressions is bringing that approach back. So there's mm -hmm. communities of people that they gather around to practice. Uh, and it's not the practice. It's not the tattooing or the burritos or the pizza and parables or whatever. It's do I love that group of people enough that I'll risk, you know, being incarnational with them, being in relationship with them over an extensive period of time and helping how the Holy Spirit, helping just point to how the Holy Spirit's already at work in their lives and in that community and, and helping them, you know, see how Jesus is already there. I love that. Um, so you guys have a book coming out April 1st, a field guide to Methodist fresh expressions. Um, my prayer for this book is that it gets in the hands of so many pastors and we continue to see this build. If, uh, if somebody wants to pick up a copy of the book or they want to follow you two very wise men on uh, the interwebs, where would they go to find you? Uh, well, uh, I'm at, uh, our church website is egracechurch.com. And uh, that's the, the primary place to get uh, our worship services, our videos. There, a lot of the videos of our Fresh Expressions are there. Mm -hmm about our ministry with special needs, uh, those kinds of things that we have, um, our Eat, Pray, Love, Dinner Church, those kinds of things. And then I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yeah, same here. I'm, I'm, uh, you can, of course, find our church, Wildwood, uh, FLUMC. Uh, also, Fresh Expressions US. Um, I, I write and blog for them and have a, have a presence there. And, of course, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And um, this book, it'll be, it's uh, through Abington Publishing. So it'll be on uh, Amazon, Abingdon. And Great. And we'll places. link to all of that on the, on the uh, show notes and we'll make sure everybody gets a chance. And uh, for those of you that are listening locally in the Dayton area, both of these incredible speakers are coming to United Theological Seminary on uh, April 24th. Fresh Expressions, uh, they're doing a day from nine to three united.edu. Uh, again, we'll link to that in the show notes. I'm going to be there hoping to bring some of my leadership team there. I'm super excited for the day. It's going to be a great event. So yeah. gentlemen, uh, the last question that I always love to ask my guests is uh, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, and, and I'm going to take you guys back since you, you both have similar, uh, a similar moment, but in different spaces. If you could go back to when you were both finishing um, or getting ordained as an elder in the Methodist church, right? So you guys both go now, George, that's a little bit longer for you than it is for Michael, but that's fine. That's fine. And you can give yourself one piece of advice. 
what would it be? Uh, Michael, why don't you kick us off? Oh, man. Hmm. I guess my my greatest failure as a leader has been there's been times where I haven't loved my people the way they deserve to be loved. Mm. And I've been frustrated as, as I'm trying to help them see this vision of you know, people outside the sphere of reachability. Uh, and there's been times where I've, I've held hostility and anger in my heart and I've had to repent for that. Um, so if I could go back and tell myself to be more patient, um, to be more loving with the people that I've inherited and to try to understand their perspective more thoroughly. Um, that's, that would be, that's what I would do. George, what about you, sir? Um, I, I would say um, I wish I knew to the core of my being, as I think I'm beginning in the sixth decade of my life to uh, actually uh, actually live in this space, that people uh, are not a problem to be solved, but a people to be loved. And that begins with myself. Um, I'm not all, I, I've often seen myself as just a problem to be solved mm. instead of as a person to be loved. And mm. um, so I, you know, uh, I got awards and accolades for growing a big church. And I did it at a huge personal cost. Uh, and if my wife and sons were here and they were honest, they would say, you, you know, I mean, I've been a good husband and father. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to beat myself up, but I missed, I missed too many ball games. Uh, I didn't go to the gym enough. You know, I didn't take care of myself. I, so, I'm not a problem to be solved. I'm a person to be loved. And if I could live in that sweet space of knowing that I'm loved and that other people, the people in the pews of my church are not a problem that I have to solve. Mm -hmm. They really are a people to be loved. And the people in my community, it's not just about reaching them. It's about loving them. And uh, so, yeah, I wish, and I, I would say that again, in the sixth decade of life and the fifth decade of fourth decade of love in Jesus, it's starting to come around. Praise God to you, the rest of us hope. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and appreciate all of you and can't wait to see you guys in Dayton on April 24th. And uh, I hope so many of our listeners will come up and say hi and uh, pick up a copy of the book. It's, it's going to be a great event. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having us. What a great conversation with George and Michael. I know that you found their thoughts and their process just so incredibly life-giving as I did. I think that they have so much to offer the kingdom of God as they continue to build out what it looks like to be the church in today's world. And uh, I know that that's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus today because the, the world is telling us something so different. So uh, check out what they're doing. Check out their book. Check out the April 24th event at United Theological Seminary and uh, and follow them on all the socials. I think you'll really enjoy it. Michael is super active. He just got back from a trip to the Holy Land and it was uh, it's fun to watch that play out on social media. 
So hit them up wherever you do, uh, Instagram, Facebook, tell them that you appreciated them being on the podcast. It would mean so much to us. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Our hope today is that this conversation maybe strengthened you a little bit, helped you on your journey, and as always, helped you reclaim good practices for faith and life.